Hey, this is Diana, the Bard of Hudson. What the heck does that mean? A bard is just a storyteller. So here I am to share stories with you. What was it like growing up in the 60s and 70s? Did I really meet Bob Marley on an airplane? I hope you enjoy listening to my crazy life and that it inspires you to share your stories in some way. One great way to share your thoughts with me is through my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Diana the Bard. There you can see the photos and written materials that enrich my stories with visuals. Please check it out. And wherever you're listening, please rate and review and share the podcast. I'd love to hear what you think. At the end of the day, human connection is all we have. Enjoy. Hello, hello. Welcome back. Thanks for being here with me today. And it's so exciting. I am going to kick off a series of episodes about my trip to China because reading back about it, it was so just jam-packed with incredible experiences and very unlike any other trip that I had ever taken before. It was just, it made a huge, huge impact on me. And I talked about it and have talked about it for the rest of my life. I hope to share some really exciting little tidbits with you about what it was like to be in China as one of the first groups of Westerners to really go in there. You know, by that I mean like probably in the first thousands or whatever. But I'll just briefly say that Mao Zedong had ruled China or, you know, been the chairman from his takeover in 1949, where he founded the People's Republic of China, which is also later known as Red China or Communist China. And then it ended in 1979 with his death and Deng Xiaoping's consolidation of power, at which point they decided to open the country up for trade and tourism from Western countries. So the country had been closed for many, many years and nobody had seen inside really, except for perhaps some visiting dignitaries. So this was a, an amazing opportunity. And my family had decided that they really wanted to be in the vanguard and they wanted to see, they had to, had to see China. And I was so glad that we were all going. So we signed on with Lindblad Travel, which is a very established old touring company. And they were some of the first to organize tours into China. And it was a fantastically comprehensive tour that really took in all of the major sites. My mom, my aunt, my grandmother, we four cousins, and then my mom's friend, Phyllis, we're all going from our family. Now, an important note here, I forgot to say this as I was all wrapped up in my college experience, but during my college years, my mom and Virginia split. So Virginia was no longer a regular part of our lives, for which I was very grateful. And Phyllis was a nurse and a very high energy, take charge kind of person, and we all liked her immensely. She was just so much fun. And so we were very glad to have her along and as part of the family, we loved her. I remember saying that Phyllis and my brother seemed to have packed nice little compact suitcases and they didn't have to lug a whole lot of stuff. But I was preparing to go not only to China, but once we left China, we were going to be landing in Italy and I was going to meet Dave for a month of backpacking around Europe. So I was packed for two very different trips. 
And I also was packed to take a ton of photographs. So I had 120 rolls of film with me, which was really nuts because I didn't know if we were going to be able to buy film in China. We were told that, you know, things were very behind in terms of technology and availability of normal things that we would want. So we should bring things that we could not do without. And film was definitely one of them for me. I remember we had to wrap the film in these special bags that didn't allow them to be exposed when they went through the very antiquated x-ray systems in the Chinese airports. In any case, we got to fly first class on Pan Am because it was such a long flight. And so my mom decided, let's spring for the first class tickets. That was a first and a last time for me. I have never flown first class since. But it was very exciting because it was an 18-hour flight. So we got room to stand up and walk around. And we had these long, long chairs that, that stretched out. Nothing like it is now where they've got beds and TVs and all that stuff. But we did have long chairs and plenty of room where they could actually lie flat. And we could sleep in them a bit. But I remember that we didn't want to sleep. So the first class was a two-story thing and it had a little spiral staircase. And we four cousins stayed upstairs and next to us in a seat across the aisle was Mariel Hemingway. And that was really exciting because she had been in Annie Hall. And then we'd also seen that crazy movie Lipstick with her and her sister. And, um, uh, we were all sort of slyly peeking at her and, and remarking about how beautiful she was even without her makeup and all of that. So that was a little exciting. And I remember remarking, remarking about the food. We had sushi on board because we were headed to Tokyo first. That was our first stop. And it was, oh my God, the luxury was incredible. So exciting, champagne and warm bread and all on and on. And so much food. They just kept feeding us and feeding us. I was reading a novel called Spring Moon by Betty Bow Lord. And it was a cross between those romance novels that I loved and a history of China. So it was preparing me to get into that China spirit. And I was really excited. And I kept using the word psyched in my diary. I was psyched about everything. <laughs> it was very silly. So we landed in Tokyo. And I know that I was amazed to see two TVs in the airport lounge. And I was like, wow, imagine that. Why would they do that? It's so funny to think that there was a time when that wasn't happening, that we read books in the airport lounge or read the newspaper and it was much quieter. And now TVs are everywhere, though I distinctly remember their invasion. And I remember how angry it made me every time I'd go someplace like a restaurant or a waiting area and see a television. And I was like, for God's sake, can't people entertain themselves without this? But I guess I was in the minority. And so that has come to be a thing that we can no longer escape, unfortunately. In any case, that was my soapbox for today. So our first stop was Hong Kong and flying in it looked as if the whole place was just awash in orange neon. I know that I'd never seen anything like that before flying in over any city. 
Hong Kong was way ahead of mainland China in a lot of ways in its development. And so the city was really full of high-rise buildings and, you know, much different than anything that we were going to see later. When we landed, we met our guide, Ophenia Pang. She was going to be our first guide, and she gave us our itineraries for the trip, which were personal sheets of paper, each hand-typed out on onion skin, which was a thin, lightweight type of typing paper, and we each got our own copy. So that was really funny. Our morning routines were the same, and they always included a Jane Fonda workout. As I told you, we were big into that. And we would meet in whoever's room was the largest, and we'd go for it. Usually it was me, my mom, and Laura. But sometimes my aunt or Phyllis would join us. And then we were off to breakfast and into the minibus for our adventure of the day. Ophenia was very funny, and she told us lots of crazy stories. She told us about a Mr. Yu, who was a rich and superstitious old man with a gold Rolls Royce and the license plate 8888, because that's the number for prosperity in China. And, you know, that was the first we had heard of it. Now we hear of it all the time, right? Then she told us this insane story about an American couple who had come to China and brought their dog. First of all, that's crazy. But they had brought their small poodle with them. And the first night that they were there, they went to a restaurant and they brought the dog too because they didn't have food for the dog. So they brought the dog and they were, they didn't have a guide at the time. They were alone. And they tried to make it clear to the waiter that they wanted something to be able to feed the dog. So they kept pointing at the dog and pointing at their mouths. And the waiter was like, yeah, sure, cool. And he took the dog away with him into the kitchen. And they were like sitting there having their drinks and it was taking a long time for their food to come and they couldn't understand. The waiter finally brought out a huge covered tray and when he opened the lid, there was their dog roasted up with a piece of fruit in its mouth. And they were horrified and screaming and left the restaurant. Meanwhile, the staff had just thought, oh, they brought their own food with them. No problem. Unfortunately, at the time that we visited China, there was still a lot of eating of dogs. And dog was regular meat in China when we got there first. But of course, we all being dog lovers from way back, were very horrified by that story. Our first stop in Hong Kong the next morning was the Stanley Market. And I noticed that Everywhere through this market, there were things like Calvin Klein clothes and Gloria Vanderbilt clothes for next to nothing. And I was like, damn, we could have all come with empty suitcases and bought all of our clothes here and had designer clothes. That was pretty funny. We noticed right away that it was incredibly hot and humid and everywhere we went, we were just covered in sweat immediately. And then anytime we went inside, we were blasted with air conditioning because that was a new luxury that they were eager to exploit. So it was a wonder that we all didn't come down with horrible colds. We then visited Repulse Bay Beach with its two beautiful statues of guardian goddesses, Tin Hao and Kun Yang. And then we took the peak tram up to the top of Victoria Peak so we could look down on all of Hong Kong and Kowloon. And it was spectacular. You could just see for miles and miles and miles. 
In the afternoon, we had some time built in for ourselves, and so we four cousins decided we wanted to split off and wander by ourselves, and we stumbled across a Chinese market where Westerners clearly didn't go. There was one woman there selling frogs from a cage, probably for food also, and little did we know that it was only going to get stranger once we hit mainland China. In the evening, we took a sunset cruise on a private junk where we visited a floating village made up entirely of sampans. We ate at the Jumbo Floating Restaurant, and we were noticing how funny it was that they loved these kind of names, you know, number one, and Jumbo, and Mightiest, and Biggest. Every night, we hit the beds totally exhausted because we did so much stuff every day, but then we were psyched for the next day. <laughs> It was great that they left us big chunks of time to explore on our own because the second day we also had a lot of time and so we took this rickety local bus up into the mountains to visit the Polin Monastery. It was a harrowing ride of twists and turns and the bus seemed like about to turn over at any minute. But when we got to the top of this mountain, it was incredible because a cloud enveloped the peak so that it sort of cut it off from the rest of the world. And we got out of the bus and there were all these little monks that were walking around in light blue pants and long tunics and they served us this delicious vegetarian lunch. We visited the temple and we saw three Buddhas who represented the Buddha of the past, the present, and the future. And we would come to see this as a pattern in the many shrines and temples that we would visit during our travels. That night, we had a special China briefing lecture to prepare us by telling us some of the history of China so that we could have some historical context when we went and saw all of the sites that they were going to bring us to. And they wanted us to have a real feel for the cultural and political landscape of the country as it was now. We even talked about the one-child policy, which was very new, and I guess it was a little shocking to them too, but they also upheld it with very much pride, you know, like this is going to fix one of the big problems in our country. It was incredible to hear, and we couldn't imagine the ramifications of it as we have seen them now, but we knew it was unfortunate because many people wanted sons and we could just feel that it was not going to be good for the females of the population. In any case, with this Chinese briefing, it was also clear that the guides were very eager for us to think highly of their country and we were all so excited and certainly disposed to do so. That night, we had dinner in the Lindblad apartment with Mrs. Lindblad herself. And this is what really made me think that we were definitely among the first groups to visit China in this way, or certainly with the Lindblad company, because they really treated us as VIPs, and it was, it was wild. After dinner, we took the tram again to the top of Victoria Peak so that we could see the whole city by night, and it was very romantic, and I remember really missing Dave. So that's Hong Kong, and in tomorrow's episode, we are on to mainland China. So exciting. See you then. Want to make some juicy passive income but don't know where to start? You need to check out Girls Trade too. 
Girls Trade 2 is an online community of women learning to trade in the stock market so they can boost their savings and get off that dang hamster wheel of work, work, work. So if you want some help figuring out the stock market, check out a free web class at girlstrade2.com. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to connect, you can find me on Instagram at Diana the Bard or on Facebook at Diana Green. And check out my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Diana the Bard for photos and other fun additions. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe, share, rate, and review wherever you're listening. It makes a world of difference and helps others to find the show. I'd really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Bye.